Well, greetings from the great nation of Texas. <laughs> it's glad to see how the other part of the world is living. <laughs> We're so excited to be here with you. I just wanted to call, this is my sweet name for my wife. I can call her this, but you can't. That's my little chocolate bunny down there. I'm so glad you came with me, honey. It is just glad to hang out with you in places like this. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me, to the rest of the world. I'm so excited to be here. Greetings again, and I am happy to be here. We have had a wonderful time, the 360 conference. Uh, people are just so nice to us. I get spoiled. I think it's like this everywhere. You know everybody's not nice, right? You do know that. And this is, again, one of the most wonderful places to be. Uh, gotten a lot of insights. Got a few sermons I've stolen from some guys I can't wait to go back and preach on, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we do thank you. We know that you love us. We know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We ask, Lord, as we seek to understand more of your will and your way tonight, help us to see what we need to see in order to be the people you've called us to be in practice. Even though you've made us those people in position, help us to walk it out in practice. Guide us, Lord God, to be on one accord tonight and for the rest of our time so that you would be glorified. Other brothers and sisters will be edified and the devil horrified because we stand together on one accord. And all of those who put their faith in him said, Amen. Amen. The story is told of this man who went to buy a painting of Jesus and he went and bought the biggest painting that he could find. And as he got this painting and he got it home, he tried to put it into his home. And as he tried from the back door, the side door, the windows, he could not get this painting of Jesus into his home. So he called some architects, he called some engineers, he called some construction people, and they just kept trying to figure it out. But then someone just came to him and said, sir, here's the problem. You can't put this painting in your home, you're going to have to build your home around this painting. And too often, that's what happens in our lives. We are trying to fit Jesus into our worlds, but the reality is we were meant to build our lives around Jesus. And when we don't do that, we will find ourselves in some very difficult situations in life. And when it comes to our love for Jesus, Sometimes we can be like that song. I don't know. I'm dating myself. Some of you remember that song by the Everly Brothers. I don't want to sing it, but you've lost that. All that. You've lost that. And now it's. Oh. <laughs> Shame on you. You shouldn't know that secular song. <laughs> but the reality is, sometimes in life, if we're not careful, we can just function in ministry. And when we're just functioning in ministry, it's like we've lost that loving feeling. It's like amazing grace is no longer amazing. And one of the things that we'll discover as we look in the book of Revelation chapter 2, God has a problem when we do activity without love involved. And I want to just suggest before we get in the passage, some of the things that we can do to where if we're not careful, it can lead us to this lackluster style of ministry to where we're just going through the motions. When we focus on getting the work done above loving God, we can get in trouble. 
And too often what I've discovered in my church and around the country, we want to get the work done, but God is trying to get us done through the work. And we think it's about the activity, but in reality, it's about the character transformation. It's about an opportunity for us to develop in a love relationship with God, not to do the work because he doesn't need us for the work. He's using us for the work. We are not the determiners. We are the instruments that God chooses to use in any given situation. And too often, we will opt for the relationship for the activity. That's when we start to see a loveless time in ministry. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the ministry activities and lose focus on the relationships themselves. When you think about Jesus Christ, if you just go back and look at his life, one-third of his ministry was public proclamation. Two-thirds was interpersonal relationship. And yet we spend most of our time focusing on that one-third and Mr. Two-third. It's about that relationship. It has never been about ministry activity. I, I tell my congregation all the time, I said, listen, if we get the job done and there are bodies laid to the side, people are hurt, act, uh, attitudes are, are moving around, we've missed the point. If we're doing the work, but yet God is not known, somebody's life is not transformed, we're not being a blessing but a burden, we've missed the point of ministry. Too often as I speak with a lot of young pastors who are excited, I said, you know, you've got one problem, my friend. I love you dearly, and I want you to understand this. You love ministry more than you love the people in the ministry. And when you start to love ministry more than you love the people, you will lose that loving feeling. You like to preach. You don't love the people you're preaching to, and that's a dangerous place to be in ministry. You love knowledge, but you don't love the people whom God gave you the knowledge to proclaim to. That's when you could have a loveless ministry. When you focus on the effects of ministry and the results and not the relationships, you can lose that loving feeling. In the book of Revelation, as we look at this book, let me just summarize the book of Revelation in two words. God wins. Amen? I don't care how you want to slice it and dice it. That's the summary of the book of Revelation. Does anyone disagree with that? God wins. As we look at Revelation chapter 2, and we want to start in and looking at the church of Ephesus. Again, this particular chapter from chapter 2 on, he talks about these seven churches, but we want to hone in for a moment on this church called Ephesus. Listen to these words that are written. He says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars, the one personal pronoun, Jesus Christ, who holds the seven stars, the seven stars are the pastors of those churches in his right hand. I love that. It means he has them under his sovereign control. The one who walks among the seven golden lapstands, the seven churches in Asian Minor, that is what the seven golden lapstands are. He says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and that they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary what I love about this Jesus is saying I know you 
I, I am intimately connected with who you are and what you're doing. I am amongst you, church. I am inside. I know exactly what's going on. I know where you're going. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I am with you. I see you. I know you. He says, and you have persevered and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word but, doesn't that just kind of dismiss everything else? Someone says, I love you, but that just takes away all of the other. And here is what Jesus says, but I have this against you. I don't know about you, but when Jesus tells me he has something against me, I think I want to pay close attention. But what's fascinating in this passage, I know all these things, and these are great things. I mean, if you think about it, wouldn't you want to be in this kind of church? I mean, they are sound in their doctrine. They're sound in their faith. They're sound in their service. They are looking at foolishness and making sure that it doesn't get into the church. They're doing everything right. I mean, that sounds like a place I want to be, and I'm sure the offering was great, but that's another story. But the reality is they're doing everything right. He says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, I need you to let that sink in. We're going to walk through this passage together in a moment, just kind of step by step. But I want you to let that sink in. Jesus says to you, you're doing all of these wonderful things, and I, I see you, I'm with you, I hold you in my hands, but I have this against you. You've left the love. You've had it first. Now, look at what he says. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And then he does the, by the way, yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which you also hate. It's kind of like, let me slap you, but also love you at the same time. Let me slap you, let me love you. Okay? But what I want you to recognize from this passage is that good works without love is not pleasing to God. So it's not just the acts that God is interested in. It's the motivation behind the acts. And too often we think that just doing things right is enough. But in the eyes of God who's given us all the power, he's given us his presence, he's given us his promises, he's given us this place, is way more than just good works. With that in mind, let's begin to talk about the praise to Ephesus. Then I want to emphasize the problem. Then I want us to see the priority that they needed to get back to. And then I want us to look at, if you will, the pressure point or the pronouncement of what they need to do as it relates to returning back. So notice the praise, and this is something I need you to understand from this passage. Jesus knew their deeds. Their deeds and their toil and their perseverance were known by Christ. They did not tolerate evil or put to test, if you will, and test those who called themselves apostles. They persevered and endured for the name of Jesus Christ. They had not grown weary and hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Listen, they did everything right. One of the most important things that we can learn from this 
is that our hearts are way more valuable to God than our actions. And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the mind, the will, the affections. And when I sometimes teach, I'd like to think about it this way. Sometimes in relationships, there are four things that we can be in a relationship. Sometimes we can be what we call open and unloving. And when you're open and unloving, you have the right insight, but you're nasty in your approach. No, no one can question that you've said the right thing. No one can challenge the accuracy of your words, but man, you are so nasty. Sometimes when you are walking in something that is right, but yet you're unloving, it misses the point. Sometimes in our relationships, we can be what you call closed and loving. It's in my heart to give you, but you don't get it from me. So think about that. I, I, I'm going to do it. I want to do it, but I'm not moving in that direction to do it. So what happens? You don't get the love. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can be what we call closed and unloving. I'm pretending to do right by you, but in my heart, I'm bitter and resentful towards you, and I don't open my heart. But God wants us to be one way and one way only, and that is open and loving. This church had all the right deeds. This church was doing everything in the manner in which God wanted. However, they were lacking the love that God called them to have. But secondly, as we understand, the problem is that they had fallen from the love they had at first. What does that mean that they've fallen from the love they had at first? I mean, how, how can you do something as good as they were doing and yet not have love? The reality is they had abandoned the freshness of that relationship. The love that they had, the way it was, was no longer as it is. It's not that they didn't have love, if you will. It's just that they were lacking what they had, the fervor, the excitement. Have you ever just gone to church and walked through the motions as an usher? Have you ever just gone through the church and walked through the motions in whatever ministry you've had? I can't tell you, as shamelessly as I want to say this, how many sermons I have preached in my mind was somewhere else. Because you can get into a habitual pattern of doing things. And as you get into that habitual pattern of doing things, you forget for who it's for and for whose glory it was about. This particular congregation, they had fallen from their love. It became a routine, a ritual that lacked the fervor. How many times have you had a devotion and can't even remember what the devotion was about? I thought devotion was meant to be devoted. How many times have you sat down and studied God's word and it was just perfunctory? I've shared with many guys, when, when you think about this idea, when, when Paul told Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine, and I, I think about this often, I said, when guys start to grow in their ministry and not grow in their character, here's what tends to happen. They start preaching, they start teaching, and before you know it, that ministry begins to rise. And as that ministry rises, they used to have a study for themselves. Now they just study to prepare for others. And the more they study to prepare for others, they're growing in their abilities. And their abilities are becoming effective, but they're growing cold in their devotion, and they're growing lackluster in their relationship, and their character is not growing. And what happens is they start to grow up, 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 up in ministry activity, but their character doesn't match the activity. And guess what happens? They get exposed for sins that we're shocked about. 
As I talk to young men all the time, I said, the danger you will ever have is not, not being successful, but being successful. That's the danger of ministry. And you can become so successful that you forget that it was never about you. It was about the love relationship. And out of that love relationship, the instrument that you are, you were meant to grow more in. And if you're not careful, you start to actually think it's you. And you start to listen to your own press. I tell a lot of guys, be careful of being impressed with yourself. Because the moment you get impressed with yourself, you lose that loving feeling. The moment you get impressed with yourself, you forget that this is a love relationship and the fruit of that love is the blessing of other people. And too often what I've discovered in situations where people have lost the love they've had at first, they've gotten too caught up in the process and forgot the person to whom they belong. Many men I've sat down with and I've said to them, the biggest problem you have is that you love your ministry more than you love your marriage and when you love your ministry more than you love your marriage you will end up eventually losing both and when you try to do ministry at a level of immaturity in other words if your marriage is at a certain level and your ministry is at another level the more you do ministry above the level of the maturity of your marriage you can destroy it and the more you do that you're not showing a love for God you're showing a love of ministry you are walking in Ephesians and God has a problem when our toil is great but our love is low see one of the things that we we see here is that they lost something that was precious to God because he doesn't need us as much as he wants us Consider this. I want you to look at point number three with me, the priority for Ephesus. The love that they had and the deeds they were doing needed to match. So when, when Jesus says, you, you, you've lost something, I, I need you to go back. So you're doing great things, but your love for me is not matching. I need them to match the deeds and the toil, hear me well, and perseverance done with lovelessness will bring Jesus Christ against you. Let that sink in for a moment. How can God be against you doing great stuff? It doesn't make sense. Sure it does. Because we can do a lot of good things and it's not for the glory of God. I can't tell you how many people I've had to say no to in our ministry because it wasn't about the love of God and the people. It was about their agenda. There was a wonderful young guy. He was excited about prison ministry and he came to our church and he was all excited and he took me on this trip with him one time and we went to the prisons to see some of the things he was doing in ministry and it was beautiful they had these dads who would see their children for the first time or the second time and they would give them just a day to spend with their kids I was in tears and you see these big old grown men loving on these babies and the babies are holding on to them and they have a hold and I'm just sitting there like this is just so great I just, I'm just this is too much and I'm crying the whole day and it's just a beautiful thing and he said I want to do this at the church I said great but I want you to do more than this I want you to be connected to the people in this church he says, what do you mean? I said, well, what do you mean, what do I mean? What is the church all about? 
He says, but we can do all these. I said, yes, we can do all the wonderful things outside, but there is a community of people inside that I need you to connect with because it's not so much about these activities as it's about these relationships that you were meant to build. I said, if you think about Ephesians 4, my friend, there are three realities in Ephesians 4 from verse 11 to verse 15. You've got the character development, you've got the connecting, you've got the calling. I said, but I want you to recognize something. Between the character and the calling is the word connecting. You can't build in character without connecting. You can't fulfill your calling without connecting. It's always about the love relationship. And if you're trying to do your calling without connecting, you lose. Ministry was never about the ministry. It's about the relationships that are tied to it. And Jesus is not happy when work is done without love. Not tolerating evil and putting false leaders to the test done with lovelessness will bring Jesus Christ against you. Enduring patiently and bearing up under Jesus' sake and doing this without love will bring Jesus Christ against you. There are two great commandments. What are the two greatest commandments, guys? I'm sure you could say it to me, right? So guess what the two greatest problems in life are? Not a lack of ministry. We've got a lot of ministry going all over the world. But the two greatest problems is not a lack of ministry, lack of service. It's a lack of love for God, a lack of love for others. Ministry must always be tied to love. Consider these words. I want you to think about these words. Um, something I read from a, what was this, a church journal called A Church That Does It Right. Listen, listen to this. He says this, no amount of good works, wisdom, and discernment in matters of church discipline, patience, <clears throat> excuse me, endurance and hardship, hatred of sin, discipline doctrine can ever make up for what? God takes special notice of the way and manner in which men think of him as they attend to his service and worship. Never confuse deeds with love. Listen to this. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the greatest unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in, in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. No amount of nice words can make up for lovelessness. Love comes from God. It is evidence of our eternal life. It also demonstrates to the world that we are followers of Christ. It is the essential ingredient that we can't leave out of the church. Jesus said, I have a problem with you. It's not that you're not doing well, but you've lost that loving feeling. Well, 
What's the pronouncement? What, what does he tell them? If you want to make this right, the pronouncement to Ephesus was simply this. Return to the love you had or I will remove you. Now, that's a scary thing. And that removing, there's a lot of debate about it. But I just hold that it's very simple. The power to represent him will go away when you choose not to love him in his way. Just very simple. Do you know how many churches don't even know that the Spirit of the Lord is not even there anymore? Do you know how many churches are doing activity without the power of God? There are so many churches around the country, they don't even know, not that Elvis has left the building, but the Spirit of God has left the building. And they're going on as business as usual. Jesus is telling this church, if you don't get back to the love you have with me, the influence, the power of my presence, me being there, it will be shut down. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that scares me to think that you can be in that situation. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but I've heard the story of these particular foreign pastors who came to this country, and they were on a tour of all these mega churches within the United States. And at the end of the tour, they got together, and they were just huddling around each other, being very quiet. So the tour guide was kind of just wanting to get involved and, and see what was happening. He said, hey, guys, we've taken you to some of the greatest churches in America. What do you think? And they just kind of all looked at each other. They didn't want to say much. And they said, well, we're just surprised at how much you do without the power of God in these churches. Isn't that a scary thought? See, you and I have to understand it's not about the works. It's about the love plus works. And what am I saying there? Your love for God should be shown through your service, but when you are lackluster in your love, the service can't make up for the lackluster. Jesus is saying to this congregation, return to the love you had or I will remove you. Let's break that down for a moment. If repentance for leaving the love they had at first did not occur, God was going to remove their lampstand. What did he mean by that? He means this. If repentance for leaving the love they had at first did not occur, God was going to remove their ability to be useful to him. Think about this. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Amen? We've been delivered from the power of sin. Amen? We've been delivered from the presence of sin. God has changed our position from sinner to saint, our condition from being dead to being alive. For what purpose? Not to sit soak and sour. He saved us that we may know him, John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that we may know the Father and the Son whom he had sent. He saved us that we may become like him. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, from glory to glory, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. He has saved us to be useful to him. We are God's workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Imagine if you can't be useful to the very one who saved you for himself. And there are some churches, unfortunately, right now, at this time and age, that are not useful anymore because they're doing ministry without love. My brothers and sisters, that can't be us. If repentance for leaving the love they had at first did not occur, God was going to let the light of their witness be extinguished. Now, 
What Jesus tells this church, and I love this, because Jesus never judges without warning when it comes to us as saints. There's always a warning. And what I like about that is I believe that he's talking to us through this passage to ask a simple question. How much do you love me? Now, notice what I didn't say, how much you appreciate me. There's a difference between appreciation and love. Sometimes people don't know that. And I tell folk, there are a lot of people, and I say this shamelessly, that I appreciate, but I realize that I'm not loving. And too often, if we're not careful, we could be appreciating God, but not loving him. And love for God is a little different than appreciation. Appreciation is you are excited about what he has done. You are accepting of all of what he has allowed in your life and the good side. But love says out of my heart, out of my surrender, out of my mind, out of my body, I will submit to you. I will sacrifice unto you. I belong to you. I am yours. You are mine. And I am willing to give of myself because I want to know you deeply. I want to become like you, and whatever it takes, I am yours because I know I'm not my own. The moment we stop there, we're missing the fact that nothing or no one will give us the satisfaction that is so desired apart from a genuine fellowship with God. Remember, repent revert. Ephesus was commanded to remember, making the effort to recall past joys and deeds and attitudes and experiences in the life of the church in order to repeat them and act upon them. Ephesus was commanded to repent, acknowledgement of sin and turning away from the sin and attitude and actions. Ephesus was commanded to revert, returning to their former state and eagerly seeking to re-engage in the deeds of love they once had done but had abandoned. What do you think your spouse would feel like if you came home and said, kiss the wife, check? No one likes that, right? How do you think God feels when you're just going through the motions because you were supposed to read your Bible today. You know what kills me? I, I, I talk to guys who want me to be impressed with how many times they've gone through the Bible. You've met those people, right? They come up to you and say, John, this is my 20th time through the Bible this week. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? This is my 12th devotion in the last five days. And they want you to pat them on the head and say, good boy. Here's the problem with that. I always tell people, I don't care how many times you've gone through the Bible. What I want to know is how many times the Bible has gone through you. And since you've read the Bible, how have you come to know him intimately in his character? How have you become like him in his character? And tell me, what loving thing have you done to be useful to him? God is not interested in how we study. He's interested in how that study fuels our love. Here's a key point I want you to consider. Consider these words. It is all too easy to both be orthodox and active and unloving. 
But without an intense and vital love, any church will soon be without light. Every church has its own personality, its own identity, its own distinctive gifts and atmosphere. The one quality, however, that should beautify every believer and every church, regardless of the giftedness or personality, is love. Thus, the thing that should be of utmost concern to every believer and every church is this. Does a Christ-like spirit of love permeate the atmosphere of our church? I keep trying to tell my congregation over and over again. Ministry without love is a ministry with Ichabod written on the front Now, I don't know where you are. I don't know what's happening in your church. But I know the church is not the building. The church is the community of saints within that particular location. My question to you is how is your love life? See, you can't tell me how much you love the Lord but can't stand his kids. You ever heard people say that? Oh, I love ministry. I just don't like the people in the ministry. Ho, ho, ho. Well, son, you need to get out of ministry. It was never about the activity. The activity was meant to be about connecting in love. How is your love life? Who are the most difficult people for you to love right now? Can I tell you why they're difficult? Because they're not you. Let that sink in for a moment. See, I tell married couples all the time, your biggest problem is you didn't marry yourself. <laughs> and you keep trying to conform this person into your image, and it's not working, is it? Jesus did not create this person to be conformed to your image. He created them to be conformed to his. And the reason you're struggling in this marriage is not because you're having a marriage problem. There are character deficiencies that have showed up in the marriage. And you're too busy trying to fix the marriage and fix the person. God has tried to expose you to your lovelessness towards him and towards the other person. What if you decided to get up tomorrow morning and said, you know what? I've got some specific people in my life that I've been called to love by the power of God. And you know what? I'm not going to focus on what they say or do to me. My job is to love them. Because here's a dumb question. Just, just dumb. Just hear me out for a moment. I've got a few minutes here. Hear me out for a moment. Did, did Jesus love you according to who you were? Or did Jesus love you according to who he was? So why are you loving people according to who they are? Here's another dumb question. Does anyone deserve to be loved? Show of hands. Anybody? Does anybody deserve to be loved? If no one deserves to be loved, then what's your excuse? Let that sink in for a moment. While we were yet sinners. Don't let ministry take you away from love. Don't get so excited about the ability to be useful that you forget the meaning for what it means to be useful. It's always about the love of the people 
not the love of the ministry. And when you love ministry more than you love people, you've lost that what? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You've given us your promises. You've given us your presence. You've given us a set of people to be tied to. You've given us your precepts that we can follow. But ultimately, you've given us yourself. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, because in so many places we have been going through the motions in some of our ministry. We have been lackluster, Lord God, and we have gotten caught up in many places, and we're not loving the people that we are doing the ministry for and to. And so, Lord, we recognize that you want us to make the adjustment. We thank you for the warning, Lord. And we thank you for the ability to repent, to move backwards. And we ask, Lord God, that you would stir our hearts afresh, that we would begin again to love you as you've loved us. And we know that we can't work that up. We can only work that out. But, Lord, you told us we could because you have your indwelling presence in us. So, Lord, forgive us where we have made excuses and not confessions. Help us to no longer walk away with excuses, but to walk with confessions, knowing that you promised and you said that you would forgive us if we would confess. And you've given us the power to move back towards you. Show us how. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Give us the support of others to guide us back to the love we had at first. And all of those who belong to him said, God bless you. Have a good evening.